Ed, how the heck are you? Very good. Yeah. Um, I might be embarrassed if I was uh, Louis Van Hull, but but no, we beat the Scousers. We talked last week about um, whether if you are an anti Louis Van Hull type of uh, fan, whether you'd want United to win. And I said no, I don't care how we win. Um, I want United to win, so it's it's fantastic. A win at Anfield is always great. One of the more fortunate wins at Anfield in United's history. Oh, I don't know about history. Remember John O'Shea? I remember that. It was very similar. Yeah, it really was. My goodness. A ridiculous smash and grab affair, which we will come on to in some detail later in the show. As is rank cast tradition, we will start with the earliest match of the week. And that was an absolutely bananas affair between Manchester's and Newcastle United's. What did you make of United's free-flowing, free-wheeling football? Yeah, that's uh, that's not one to try and say after a couple of pints. So I think it kind of confirms my thesis that United only have two ways of playing, really ultra-defensive or totally chaotic. And this was in the uh, the other camp, wasn't it? So uh, much more open, uh, but as a result, uh, a disaster at the back, letting the lead slip, what, twice? Yeah. Against Newcastle, including the... Uh, the equaliser, so, you know, a point um, and a bit more entertainment. It's kind of funny, isn't it? You know, you start thinking, well, that's pretty disappointing because it's it's two points dropped uh, away at the third worst team in the division. Uh, but we did actually get some goals. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a whole interesting thing. And Van Gaal was talking about it on his Friday press conference before the Liverpool game, saying that the fan reaction to him this week has been a lot. People seem to be happy and they were not that disappointed because they'd like to see their team trying. And he said, of course, from his perspective, he has to see it differently. He only need to score one more goal than the opposition. So he was tremendously disappointed and uh, understandably so. United should absolutely have put that game to rest. A uh, chance for Fellaini and a chance for Lingard, which were, or especially that Lingard chance, you've got to call that a sitter really, haven't you, in professional football? Yeah, and Van Gaal's reaction. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, oh dear is the right right word. And it was really only a matter of time before he got substituted. Wasn't it? And it just felt vindictive. I mean, uh, look, he didn't actually have a bad game, Lingard, so he was pulled off um, simply because he missed that chance. I thought his legs were going a bit, to be honest. I thought he looked kind of tired and leggy, and he's not played tons of football of late, so it kind of made sense in, in that regard. But the, uh, the Van Gaal's reaction definitely looked like, made it look like there was more to it than that. Look, stop with your Van Gaal defending-ism. <laughs> I'll have none of that, thank you. Yeah. United would have none of the defending either. See what I did there? This is the Marilyn Fellaini factor, isn't it? I mean, football is multifactorial. Chris Smalling's form has sort of slightly fallen off a cliff and he had a, a poor game. But this complete inability United have when Fellaini plays to uh, control the midfield in any way, shape or form. The thing that is so infuriating about this is there should be no surprise about it. Has there been an occasion in which Fellaini has been good from that deep-lying midfield position? He just can't do it. He doesn't tackle. His tackle rate uh, from a defensive midfield position is 0.5 tackles per game. All right? he's, he's, he does better at interceptions. It's 0.6 interceptions per game. He cannot play that position. He can't get around. He's not mobile enough. He doesn't know how to cover the space. It's not as if he's just kind of intelligent with it, like Michael Carrick. He does none of the things that you need um, from a player playing in a defensive midfield position. When you put him there, it's a disaster. 
most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he was obviously very useful at one key moment against Liverpool, but it was generally speaking the same story against Liverpool. Uh, the goals were good against Newcastle. Um, a very early penalty. Loads of debate about whether that was a penalty or not. I have no understanding whatsoever why anyone would ever say that's anything other than a definite, 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 definite penalty. Yeah, well, hmm. <laughs> See, it's all about whether the... Uh, what, so, Law 12. God, it's so boring, this, isn't it? Really bo- I'm boring myself <laughs> even talking about it. But, but Law 12 just uh, talks about a deliberate handball. Um, of course, there was uh, a directive in 2009 saying uh, that... Uh, the, the way that referees should interpret that is whether the arm is in an unnatural position. So I, I don't know whether it's unnatural if you're jumping or not. Either way, it was pretty soft. It was very lucky. Let's just put it that way. Very fortunate for United to get that penalty because it's come out of absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was Fellaini as well, doing the thing that he does well, being a bother in the box um, and earned that pen. And Wayne made it two penalties in a row. That's pretty impressive for him. Um and then uh, there was the second goal that followed swiftly on its heels, which was absolutely gorgeous through ball from Herrera, um, who's not been in the best form of late. So that was really nice to see. And then Rooney, I thought, should probably have shot, but instead he uh, pulled a superb reverse pass to Lingard, who had a gorgeous, easy angle to tap it home. A very nice goal, Uh I'm kind of describing it in detail because we don't score many very nice goals, really, do we? Almost never. In fact, we scored two very nice goals in this one game. Um, So, yeah, really providing the assist there and then scored a belter later in the game to, um, you know, what's he got now? Four goals, five goals Uh, since New Year? Five goals in four games, I think, but two of them are penalties. Two two penalties, but the other three, Stoke, the little flick, the long-range shot against Newcastle, and and then uh, we'll come on to it, but the fine finish against uh, Liverpool, um, equals three very uh, fine goals indeed from Rooney from open play. That said, so two goals for Rooney against Newcastle, a lot of of talk about that, man of the match award and all that. Was he really actually that good? (laughs) Should we just should we just save the uh, the Rooney was he actually that good talk for this week because it's a valid question but we've we've spent so much of this season having a pop at him and he scored so many goals we should probably just let him off the hook I think yeah all right all right spoiling my fun there Paul that's a, that's a, yeah. well well look okay let's let's put it this way uh, United did not spoil the supporters fun so all, all those uh, fans who travelled up to Newcastle on a Tuesday night of all nights. Got some entertainment at least, and and that's what we've been asking for, you know. And I guess what you want is that type of game to be a top of the table clash, um, and a vital point earned, not actually uh, against uh, a a really abysmal team that had lost its last five games in a row, um, and couldn't score for toffee in those games either. So, there's lots of things to not be happy about in that game. And Van Hal wasn't very happy afterwards, you know. And I think he's right. Then again. I'm not sure I quite understand Louis uh, and his assessment of games um, because I really agree with what he's saying. His assessment of the game was not the thing that stole the headlines from his post-match press conference after that game, of course. There was a, an actual bust-up with a journalist. There's a lot. Of, there's been a lot of talk of sort of supposed storming out of press conferences and stuff, but this time he actually did turn on a journalist whom uh, I believe I wasn't there but whom I believe he saw doing an impression of him. 
and let's just say that wouldn't be the first time that he'd done an impression of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Custis of the Sun here. Um, I, I think the worst part about this whole thing, so he called him a fat man, um, and uh, the worst part about this is that he's actually gone and like created some kind of sympathy for the Sun. Maybe not quite sympathy, but uh, he might have put them in a better light than he's, uh, than he's fair. Really, of course, he shouldn't have called him a fat man. He should have called him a fat That would be much more accurate. Uh, okay. Sorry about that, Tom. Yeah, uh, the, the Sun, not not a nice newspaper, but you probably shouldn't just fat shame people in public. I, th- I think that's probably not ideal. <laughs> fat shaming, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, um, I, I guess, you know, this. I can understand uh, Van Hal's anger because uh, it's the same paper that, that did that ridiculous back page a few weeks ago in which uh, they, they kind of mocked Van Hal um, for asking for an apology from the media. Yeah, and I, I strongly suspect that what happened, I, I, I think I know exactly what happened, to be honest, based on some past experience. Van Gaal, when he talks to journalists, he quite often says, you, and then occasionally he'll correct himself and sort of go... Uh, maybe not you, but your colleagues, you know. Um, and uh, after the thing, you know, it's not unheard of to see that, that being replicated among the press corps. Um, so I suspect he just saw him do that and was angry. And as is kind of fair enough, because he was basically being mocked to not quite his face, but just behind his back. Well, yeah, quite, quite. Um of course, it won't help Van Hal's position much. You know, he he well, look, he's he's not getting a lot of good press, and uh, I suppose that's the way the club likes it because it keeps the uh, keeps the um, the copy off Ed Woodward, which is and the Glazers, which is of course where a lot of the copy should be aimed, not just Van Hal. You know, they've built the structure that's allowing Van Hal to fail. Interesting lot of gossip this week about uh, Alex Ferguson potentially returning in some kind of fatherly figure type role uh, for. Um, Ryan Giggs interpreted by many uh, as um, the class of 92's move for power and uh, a strange power dynamic uh, being created in the boardroom and uh, and executive management of Manchester United here where basically Ed Woodward and uh, Alex Ferguson are in different camps. Woodward supporting Van Hal, uh, Ferguson uh, for a while called off the dogs, so say the gossip mongers. When when there was some uh, thought that Mourinho might come to United, now that's been seen off. He's uh, he's called on the dogs again, which is why Paul Scholes attacked last weekend. Yeah, I I wonder about all that. To be honest, I'm not sure you need to be super Machiavellian to know why Paul Scholes flipped out after the Sheffield United game. Like every single supporter in the ground felt like flipping out after that game. So I'm not at all convinced that that's part of some shadowy conspiracy, the timing of that. I think it's just that United were rubbish. Interesting, though, in terms of all that gossip, that immediately after that Fergie Cabal story broke, uh, the Times went with an exclusive that Mourinho is being lined up in the summer. Uh, So you wonder... Was that Woodward counter-briefing against Ferguson? <laughs> Most probably, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the smart news, the smart money now is on, you know, this this kind of political battle at United. It never used to happen, but uh, it is now. And you do wonder whether Ferguson is actually playing his own hand here and not the club. Not not that he would do that. That doesn't sound you know, like him. Think, think about himself first. No, definitely not. Um, so, uh, of course, you know, all, all speculation and gossip. Um, Daniel Taylor, Taylor in The Guardian said uh, United are suspicious of Mourinho and there's uh, it would take a, a massive move in the opposite direction for them to appoint him. It's just so what do, what do we know, hey? 
Uh, everyone's briefing against everyone else. Van Gaal has drifted out to one to two from one to three in the uh, weekly check on on what price you can get on Van Gaal to be the next manager to go. Remy Gard come in a long way to four to one, having drifted. Uh, he was way way further out than that previously. And McLaren's had a good week, sixteen to one now from I think twelve to one when we talked about this last week. So, so I wouldn't put it past Lerner to fire Remy Gard, but. Uh, interesting, I don't know the answer to this. How many clubs in a rele- relegation battle that sack two managers in a season make it out of the relegation battle? I, well, I wonder if this isn't actually just not about... Because it's manager to leave. Because I think with Remy Gard, there's just a chance he'll just leave because it's such a shambles at Villa. Although they've like they won a game and then they drew at home with Leicester. So things are, you know, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, actually, the results this weekend, not bad for United. So... Um, aside from the win and Anfield, uh, we'll have a chat about that. And uh, but um, but other results going United's way, especially with Leicester drawing, um, just going off the ball a little bit. Lost, uh, missed quite a few chances there. You know, Vardy had a very good chance late in the game, which you would have expected him to bury earlier in the season. A couple of penalty shouts going against them. Um, you do wonder whether this is the time that their uh, their campaign halts a little bit. I mean, you'd, you'd think it's somewhat inevitable, right? But um, we, we shall see because it looked like that was happening a few weeks ago, and then they steadied the ship rather. So we, we'll see. We'll see where they go from here. It's been just absolutely fascinating that, that the whole situation around them this season, um, and because because immediately before that Villa game, of course, they got that last that late winner at Tottenham which is a massive, massive result. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you know, look, they've got a seven points on United at the moment. A lot of games to go, of course. So 16 games to go in the season. Spurs playing well, generally speaking, but United's win uh, on Sunday, a very important one, very important one. So if Liverpool had won that game, and, and given the pattern of the game, um, you wouldn't have said it was unfair if they had. They'd been level on points for United and United would have had five <laughs> points to Tottenham. You know, a, a big gap given the goal difference as well uh, in Tottenham's favour. So, you know, a huge win at Anfield for United. Just needed that momentum, uh, badly needed that momentum and, and got it going into what you'd think is a winnable game next weekend. Yeah, and Arsenal drew at Stoke, so the league's still on, that's Good one, good one, yes. Maybe not. I, I did some did some research for a Bleacher Report article this week where I was asked to sort of come up with a number of how many trophies United would win this season and I was thinking about it for ages. I was like, I think the number is zero and then, of course, you come up with that hypothesis and you've got to back it up, right? So the, the league was somewhat easy to back up because I went through the last 10 seasons and who was top after 21 games. Um, which is what had been played at the time. And uh, United had 11 points fewer than any team that had gone on to win the league in the last 10 seasons from that position. And uh, no one else, and eight out of the 10 teams that have been top after 21 games in the last 10 seasons have gone on to win the league. And the other two teams were second by uh, two points and I think goal difference. So incredibly unlikely that United win the league from here. It is, yeah. Although it's, it's very hard comparing um, seasons against each other, of course, because of the dynamics very different. So, you know, the, the fact that United are, in fact, only seven points behind the league leaders. After 22 games, leagues have definitely been won from further than seven points out. Um, yeah, but... Uh, we, for... we have won leagues. <laughs> <laughs> we from... have, although in 2002-03, we were five points behind Arsenal after 21 games. So... 
there you go. But yeah, we it's it's very rare that there's there's teams that claw back the that kind of leads after this stage of the season. It would seem, although of course it's ridiculous because it's kind of arbitrary. It's an arbitrary line in the in the sand, isn't it? Because how many points were we ahead of City with like five games to go? In? Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, eight. So, um, yes. Um, just on the numbers, United could win the league. Let, let's just have a you know really wild bet here. United are not going to win the league. <laughs> no. um, I think um, it's very tight for fourth. Very tight. But you just look at United's form. So if it's a clean slate and you're starting from here. Um, you wouldn't bet on United uh, finishing in the, the top four either. So, And it's not a clean slate. United have got a couple of points and a goal difference to Spurs who have better momentum. I mean, we'll see. There's some really big games coming up. We play Arsenal, uh, City and Chelsea again, don't we, before the end of the season? Um, and Spurs, and that'll be a big game um, as well as Leicester. So play all the teams around us. Um, and, uh, you know, those are the games that I guess are, are going to uh, decide whether United make the top four. One thing you would say, though, this season, United have more points against the top six than any other team, right? So partly because of the fixtures, but partly just good results against the top six this season, which is uh, interesting and you could say would might swing things in United's favour. I'm still betting on fourth if I had... Fifth, sorry, if I had money on it, which I don't. Maybe I should. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrible, isn't it? The, the, either way, this is this is a huge indictment on Van Gaal that we're having this conversation halfway through his second season because this season was supposed to be about progress. Indeed, it was supposed to be about uh, building on the progress that he did make last season. That had dipped off again by the end of the season, but we thought there were mitigating circumstances for that. But you compare the two performances at Anfield and the regression is horrific. We absolutely battered them in that 2-1 win for all but about half an hour of the second half. This time, it was just an, a dismal game of football. Yeah, very, very poor quality. I mean, even United gave the ball away a lot, much lower percentage of successful passes than is typical of United, actually a lot less possession. Um, the one constant, of course, were very few shots on target from United. So just the one shot on target. It certainly counted this time. Uh, um very interesting thing I saw on Twitter. Uh, we have managed in the last two games against Liverpool at Anfield, four shots on target. Scored them all. No, it's against Liverpool. It's not at Anfield. It's this, ah, it's this season. Yeah. yeah, This season. We've yes. had four shots on target against them and scored four goals and beat them both times. Van Gaal with a perfect record against Liverpool. I suspect that's going to be the last time we play him. So he's going to finish his career of, at United with... Uh, with a perfect record against them. Well, given that, the game was just horrendous quality. I mean, uh, it's it's not a good Liverpool side. They came into the game without a proper striker, Firmino. I know Klopp says he is a forward, but he's really not. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if they hadn't been so wasteful, Liverpool could have won the game easily. They had a lot of shots. Uh, it's just n- not too many really good chances, I suppose you'd say. Both teams had very low XG, 0.8. Eight to 0.7 so you know uh, it tells you something about the quality of uh, finishing in the game um, and I, I suppose if Lalana and Milner and, and Firmino were just you know a little sharper then United would have lost that game because of the amount of chances Liverpool created through open play but um, you know and two very good saves by De Gea as well yep. kept United in it you know and it was I'm not, I'm not sure if it was quite as funny as the victory at Arsenal um, at last season maybe it was maybe it was I mean because it was a pretty dreadful performance by United let's be honest it was funnier because it's Liverpool right that's the that's how the that's how the breakdown works 
Like it's funnier to be Liverpool than beat Arsenal. The, the, the only thing I'd say is that you know Liverpool were on top in this game, um, but it's not like De Gea had to make a load of saves, which is the point Van Gaal was making after the game. Very badly, he made it. It made it sound like it was yeah. criticism of De Gea. He's trying to say De Gea didn't have to make too many saves, which is true. He didn't, and it was because of Liverpool's wastefulness, not some tactical brilliance by Van Gaal, who managed to bend the ball away from goal with his genius. Although I suppose Edward Wood will be briefing as such after the game. Um, so, you know, United were fortunate that Liverpool were so wasteful or are so crap. One of the two. Well, yeah, this is this is the thing, isn't it? Because the first half, I think it was that the first half of the game earlier this season at Old Trafford that Gary Neville called it the dog and duck against the some other pub. I can't remember what he said. But... Yeah, it wasn't as good uh, as that. This is, this is the thing. No, I mean, that that was absolutely atrocious, that first half. And, and most of this game was. Bar, I thought, a 20-minute spell in the second half in which the goal fell, where United actually looked a lot better. Uh, it was after Young got injured and the <laughs> brilliant tweet from one of the... I, can't I think it was Oliver Kay who tweeted Van Gaal has got a problem now because he's got two specialist fullbacks playing in their right position. Yeah, well, quite. <laughs> uh, Cameron, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson, who uh, um, we are told has the uh, record number of letters in a surname, equal record number <laughs> of letters in a surname of any player in the Premier League, uh, equaling Jan Venegor of Hesselink, <laughs> uh, and some player who played for Cardiff, who no one can actually remember his name. Right. Um, uh, but he had a very good time when he came on. I thought he looked very good. Again, he's just a, he's a very composed player, and you know what? He can actually put a cross in, too. Yeah, and uh, Damian just looked transformed by the switch to right-back, I thought. He, just, he was much, much better at right-back than he'd been at left-back. Call me crazy, yeah. and because I'm not a football genius manager. Yeah. Sorry, Ed, you know, if you were looking at me as the uh, the replacement for Louis. <laughs> We've got a Twitter question about that. Yeah, uh, very good. Um, you know, maybe I'm just a bit crazy here, but does players playing in their proper position, you know, um, not square pegs in round holes, as Paul Scholes put it, actually help United? Hmm. I mean, it's a bit ironic for the shadowy Ferguson cabal to be complaining about players being played out of position, isn't it? That's... That's, that doesn't seem fair. Is, have we moved on from the Illuminati to the Cabal now? Yeah, that's it, the shadowy Ferky Cabal. Um, yeah, the, the 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 change made a big difference. Fellaini stayed on for 90 minutes, which ended up being a good thing, but was just like really bizarre. The, the away fans getting really cross when uh, Van Gaal took off Herrera, presumably instead of Fellaini. Um, that's presumably why they were cross. Herrera did not have a good game, though, um, so you could understand it. But, yeah, there was a, a point really early in the game where it looked like Fellaini might have picked up an injury. He was going to drop Herrera into central midfield and bring Mata on. And that would have been really interesting to see how that would have uh, how that would have changed the game. But Well, look, United would have just been better with the ball. Um, so I don't think we'd have been more open. Fellaini does nothing defensively, nothing at all. Well, 0.5 tackles on average a game. Uh, so you know he just doesn't help there so he, he does if it's a very low quality game and it's a bit scrappy I guess you know that's that's him he's low quality and scrappy so so maybe that helps I, I, I think he's got two qualities the left elbow and the right elbow and he, he really needs to use them both more no you can't uh, we have this conversation every time you cannot diss Filoni's world class chest control and the world class chest control you know look I, I don't wish injury on any player but if someone was to do a Tonya Harding on him it wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? I mean, I wouldn't like it because uh, that would be sad. But the thing about him is he's such a useful weapon 
to have in your squad. Like, you bring him on after 75 minutes and stick him up front and terrify the life out of everyone. This is not a bad strategy. You know, it really is not a bad strategy. But to use him as the kind of linchpin of your midfield, it's uh, it's just upsetting. You know, I, I, I never quite agree with this. You know, I, I, I know you need to be able to mix up the tactics depending on the, the game. Um, I'm not sure Van Hal's in-game management is anything special. You know, he seems to go to his playbook every single time, doesn't he? But um, it's, uh, I, I, I'm not sure that if the best strategy for United scoring a goal is to whack it long at Fellaini, uh, that, that we shouldn't start with that. And if I, yeah, it's just, to be honest, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and actually what's happened um, in recent games is Van Gaal starts out with a pretty conservative strategy and, and then ends up bringing pace on, on the wings because it's not working. How about starting like that? I'm not talking about... Oh, yeah, that's a thing we didn't mention at Newcastle. Memphis made a really big difference again. Um, you were saying last week that he's going to have a bit of a problem if he keeps making an impact sub, a difference as an impact sub. Uh, he'll get known as one. Um, but I'm not talking about bringing Fellaini on and launching it to him. I'm talking about bringing Fellaini on to, first of all, like give an option at set pieces, and secondly, to cause the kind of trouble that he causes in the box, which is not just when you launch it to him, but he is kind of an awkward player to deal with, partly because of those elbows, partly because of that chest control. Yeah, and he actually managed to get a header um, almost on target uh, against Liverpool, which contributed to the goal, of course, you know, so... Given that, I mean, he he's not a great header of the ball either because he, he just can't jump jump because he's so bloody big. But you're right, in the box, he he's awkward. He's awkward and he does great chances, scrappy chances for United. I just, it's the wrong comparison, I know, but I'm going to make it anyway, right? Could you see Fellaini at Barcelona and Barcelona being desperate enough to start launching it at him uh, in the last 15 minutes of a, a crucial cup tie or something, you know? No, right? So elite clubs generally do not, launch it at the big man uh, because he's a bit scrappy in the box as a strategy. Generally not. No, sure. But it's not the worst option to have, is it? Fellaini's a player that has a, a destructive tendency and the ability to make a... Yeah, normally on United's <laughs> ability to defend sound. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not... Dis- no, no one is disagreeing with that, that's for sure. The Liverpool game was notable for a few things. Uh, first of all, the makeup of the away support... The the absolute goonage in that end when that goal went in. Uh, I can imagine as an away supporter, there's nothing quite as sweet as a smash and grab victory at the home of your most hated rivals. And uh, of course, Phil Jones, Marcus Rocco and Michael Carrick all in that away end. Carrick tweeting that he nearly went, he thought he'd... He was going to be thrown down three rows after the goal went in. Yeah. So, um, quick question for you, Paul. Did they just get lucky in the ballot or did Wayne Rooney sell his ticket? Listen, three seats in the ballot can go to Man United players. I think it's like that time never was in the way end, you know. Yeah, he, he got lucky in the loyalty <laughs> pot, didn't he? Just Anyway, yes, no, look, it's fair enough. And um, it's uh, it's a nice touch. And I, I guess uh, maybe just a little bit PR inspired. I, I wonder whether Mr Woodward's had a word. After they've been busy tweeting about films all week. <laughs> Carrick talked about it on the, um, on the Graham Hunter podcast as well. And it's something that Fletcher and Ashley Young did. And I think it's the sort of thing that the players who are football fans do. You know, the players who grew up as football fans. And, and United's away sport really is a special thing right it's i know and i don't really mean to sound, sound cynical it's just uh you know there's everything about this club just 
just feels a little bit false sometimes and uh, it it would it would be nice to not feel that this was uh, some kind of nice PR move uh, and it was just a just a thing that the players <laughs> wanted to do so i hope it's that it's the away end at Anfield, like I don't think you do that for PR, right? You take a, you do a much easier, less intense game if you were going to just do it for PR purposes. I think what I did like uh, was Phil Jones going mental, yeah, which absolutely. was uh, very nice. I thought it was, I think it was real, man. I think it was real. Unlike uh, the remarkable shared enthusiasm for the that for a film which I'm not even a name. I'm not going to see it, just out of spite. I know, I know. So uh, the film that we shall not name, the director, has done some good stuff in the past. So uh, yes, uh, but this, got... this might well be a film that I would typically like go and see, but uh, <laughs> yeah. now I'm going to download it off the internet for free. <laughs> At FBI. But no, uh, the yeah, I think it's not okay for people to pretend to be talking about something just apropos of nothing without talking about it being an advert that shouldn't be okay should it no it shouldn't it, this is native advertising gone wrong i think um especially when they're being paid to do it so and and look look social media team i, I don't know whether you're it's 20th century fox you're probably not listening but if you are just make it feel a bit more natural because this is crap native advertising as well just really, really bad because they all tweeted the same bloody thing. Did, did you of, think no one would notice? One of two phrases. But, of course, thinking nobody would notice isn't really the point, is it? Because, it's, I mean, there are, there are benefits to native advertising gone wrong because it gets picked up and talked about and, you know, those tweets were shared far and wide and brand awareness for that movie goes up when you do that, right? But that does explain why the 20th Century Fox music's been playing at Old Trafford recently. It does, recently. yes. Well, and um, and you, you said you were disappointed they weren't playing uh, Star Wars. Of course, you know, it was sold. Although 20th Century Fox do have the rights to the previous film. So they are re-releasing episodes two and three. Uh, they are two and three of the worst films ever made and known to man, but they're re- re-releasing them in 3D, if you really feel like it. Three's all right. It's almost a real film. The other yeah. two are a joke. Oh, my God, that second one. That uh, second one is just... Yeah, anyway, um, I thought The Force Awakens was all right. Have you seen it? Yeah, no, I have. And it was actually a proper film, you know. So so three yeah. is like United's performance against Chelsea. You know, it's like you, you're kind of almost getting there. Two was like United's performance against i don't know stoke or liverpool liverpool yeah right now right yeah no stoke you're right you're right that was yeah worse. one was, was uh, uh, home to norwich i'm trying to work out what the liverpool game was because it's like a, it was really scrappy all the way through but then had a surprisingly triumphant ending which left you feeling brilliant some terrible rom-com i guess all right here's an interesting question from at jay bonser is the risk worth the reward with Fellaini? He played played horribly today, but got the assist. No, because you just have a player who plays well and gets the assist. I, I mean, the, I, sorry, yeah, it's it just true. not mutually no, exclusive. Right. That is such a such a sound point. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about that Liverpool game? No, look, it's just it's a great result. It's great for United in terms of the league position. It's great because it's beating Liverpool. It was another abysmal performance, but it's the kind of performance we expect from United all the time. It's not as if that was even tactical. Um, and th- the last point, and you know, that this might just be me, uh, and uh, I don't want to speak for everyone here, but increasingly, Van Hal's sort of charm in press conferences that I liked when he first came to the club annoys me. And, you know, he was kind of almost crowing about the result 
after the game, you know, saying he's happy and we're all happy and the fans are very happy. We are, but what we'd like is some good football as well. Because these things, much like Fellaini playing and getting assists, um, you know, good football and winning are not mutually exclusive. In fact, most of the best teams do it by playing good football. That's what I'd like to see, Louis, and there's no progress towards that whatsoever. No, he definitely should just be binned off as soon as possible, but it's not going to happen. I really would just take gigs for the rest of the season at this point. That is how depressing I've found the football of late. That Sheffield United game absolutely broke me, and there's been nothing, nothing in the Newcastle and Liverpool games to, to show any difference, except I guess you could say that the players showed some decent spirit, but if you can't show some decent spirit at Anfield, you know. And I have to say, I was oh, we've got a question here from at Barca Jim that says, so that Rooney fella, ha- hell of a guy, am I right? Um, and I was happy for Rooney. It's a record-breaking goal for him. It's the most goals scored uh, in the Premier League era by a player at one club. So, <laughs> how, many, how many arbitrary records can you like <laughs> squeeze together in one thing? I mean, yes. yes, you could say you could say you can always argue that the Premier League era is a is an arbitrary indicator, but in some ways, it's quite useful to have a differentiator between the contemporary era of football and that which has gone before, because the games change so much. Um, although I'm not sure 1992 would be where you would put that, but uh, but it is a hell of a record nonetheless. Like it's a it's a lot of goals and a lot of service, and and I like it when he has these little life affirming moments in amongst the obvious decline, like <laughs> the one on one versus Colaccini against Newcastle, the failure to outpace Colo Toure against Liverpool. He's gone, but he's still got spectacular technique in his locker when he's on form. Yeah. I mean, as those three goals, you know, the flick against Stoke, the um, the, the long range shot against Newcastle, and and the you know very well taken volley against Liverpool, all three fine goals. I don't think there was much else from him in any of those games. But look, you can't argue with it. Five goals since uh, the new year. It's one of his bursts of goal scoring. There, there were some like odd comments from journalists about uh, uh, one from Oliver Holt saying all the talk about him being dropped. Or sold will stop now. Well, he's got six Premier League goals all year uh, for United's principal striker. I'm not sure that's good enough. So, no, sorry, Ollie. Uh, you know, United can do better and, and the summer will be a good time to reassess a lot of things, including, as you mentioned, Van Hal. It's amazing. We talked about the, the briefing, the counter-briefing, the word that there's there are some doubts about uh, Ryan Giggs at the club, is he quite ready? Other people saying that, you know, they're they're pretty sure the decision has now been made. Giggs will be given the job in the summer and Van Gaal is no more. And, and certainly uh, the weight of evidence now feels like Van Gaal is not going to make it beyond the summer. No, unless the rest of the season is absolutely remarkable, which it doesn't show too many signs of being. I, look, tell me a club in the history of all football that has gone from being utterly rubbish for two thirds of a season and just suddenly switching it on. We're going to get exactly the same thing from now until the end of the season. I guess it's just about the balance of results. You know, does he manage to pull off a 50% win rate or a 60% win rate between now and that's it, right? Because the football and the quality of it is going to be dire. There are going to be a few moments in between, uh, but not much. Yeah, and, and to just briefly come back to the Rooney thing, I've been thinking a lot about this and the more I think about it, the more I think that it's, the thing that winds me up about Rooney is nothing to do with him and he's all about the stuff surrounding him. It's about the journalists and the pundits and 
Uh, it's about the managers like Moyes and Van Gaal and the way they've treated Rooney in public. And and I was thinking about what a massive disservice it is to Rooney to make him undroppable and to play him every week, every game, regardless of what's going on for his physicality at a point in his career where he's clearly physically declining. Like, what about sensible management? How is he? He's not going to prolong his career playing every week when he can't outpace Colo Torre anymore, is he? No. I mean, look, it's... um. There was a time when Rooney were we felt that Rooney was right at the top of the football tree, you know, right? One of the elite players. And we saw the, the Ballon d'Or this week and Messi won it from Ronaldo and Neymar. And he's just nowhere near it. He, I mean, I'm assuming he didn't come in the top 100 in a voting because who the hell would have voted for him? So, um, and he's, he's you know, a year older than Ronaldo or a year younger than Ronaldo, actually. And um, this, you know, so... That, that kind of puts it in context. He's uh, he's so far burnt out. There are great moments still, I guess. You know, five goals since the uh, the new year um, is great. He might stop scoring against Southampton and not score again till the end of the season, of course. I mean, he's one of the great talents of his generation and he's had one of the remarkable careers of his generation and it's clearly in decline. But, but I just, I find it super uplifting to see him find a bit of that again. Uh, but it is only a bit of that. Uh, he's not running games, is he? Um, <laughs> friend of the Rankcast, at Liz Worsley says, how many injuries did Phil Jones pick up celebrating with the away fans? Loads of questions about the lads being in with the away fans. The way those uh, elbows were flying around, I think Jonesy might have scored a few injuries on the fans, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was worried about Rocco. I was worried. They're all kind of slightly breakable, all those fans. And, and it was genuine goonage, wasn't it? Very nice to see you. Very nice. <laughs> as soon as Wayne Rooney scl- scored, asks at Blabber1, what did Van Gaal write down in his notepad special privileges yeah he just was like tallying up like how many more games he gets like five more starting bursts for every goal he scores yeah he's writing down names of journalists he wants to have a go at actually that was one of the weirder things Custis saying that he's uh, he's not criticised Rooney in some kind of defence of himself I was like um, hmm objective journalism this guy's been dreadful for half a season you should have criticised him mate <laughs> Yeah. At Sporting Glasses says, repeat that play slash score for the rest of the season, meaning the Liverpool game, or repeat the Newcastle 3 all uh, pattern of play and score for the rest of the season. Obviously, you you repeat the wins if you can guarantee them. But the problem is you just you're less likely to win if you play really dull uh, football and especially if you play really dreadful dull football. Look, it, I mean, it's a kind of weird question in a way, because, again, there's this is not mutually exclusive. The best teams normally, normally play the best football, right? Not always. And, and there are plenty of examples of teams over the years that have won trophies by playing dull, unimaginative, safe, negative football, of course. But most of the times, the best teams and the ones that are remembered and the ones that entertain the fans are the, are the teams that won playing really good football. You know, there's no even if Van Hal said after the game today, United can still win the title... Even if United did by winning, you know, enough games, sort of one nil between now and the end of the season, there's no way in 20 years anyone remembers this team, except for a dreadful team, you know. United outscored uh, the rest of the Premier League in four of their last five league title wins. Uh, the only one they didn't was uh, that season when Liverpool came second and scored tons and tons of goals. Not the Moy season where they came second, where they came second to us. Um, but yeah, every other, every other one of the 
four out of the last five league title wins, United substantially outscored the rest of the league. Um, or at least outscored them, often substantially. Uh, at Wheeler 55, touching on something we we got close to earlier, but not quite. What was funnier, us winning that match or Gerard getting sent off last season? It's got to be Gerard, hasn't it? Yeah, the Schadenfreude was strong with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, it's still a wonderful moment. <laughs> there was it, it. It was kind of um, didn't get too many outings that song. I suppose because of how dreadful United were until United went one nil up, and then then it was just off the hook. Um, yeah. At Kingy Lad Seven says, "Is it true that you and Ed are being lined up as United's new management team?" I, I can neither confirm nor deny these rumours that are going around on the internet. Yeah, if if the class ninety two are the cabal, what are we? <laughs> we're we're just quietly pulling the strings in the background. That's what we're doing. We know what's going to happen with the club through the influence of our words through this here podcast. No, no, really, absolutely nothing is what's going to happen. Um. At Quatchit, with an interesting question as the transfer window uh, marches on with absolutely no sign of any activity, uh, do you think FIFA has raised the game? FIFA has raised fans' expectation too high when it comes to transfers and building a winning team and style. You sometimes wonder about that stuff, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't play this kind of stuff enough for it to really enter my world view of football. So. From my point of view, no, not in the slightest. But I suppose, you know, people playing football manager and, and FIFA and stuff like that I think you can just kind of randomly buy a team or maybe you're you you're a kind of, you know, petro oligarch like Roman Abramovich and you make that kind of thing real. Uh, hmm, maybe. But no, look, the reality of the transfer window is um, there's very rarely a good transfer made in the winter, I suppose. You know, there are exceptions to that rule. Wanamata joined a couple of seasons ago, you know, mixed time since then. Andy Cole, years and years back, joined um, not not in the winter window because it didn't exist then. Sort of more like March or something, wasn't it? Ever, Ever and Vidic are the, the classic. Ever and Vidic stories. are the classic ones. Yeah. So occasionally uh, United would be transformed with a world class striker. Uh, and a world-class defender, preferably both, and maybe a right winger as well. <laughs> Chris, uh, I'm, the, the at is, I'm not going for, oh, at C plus Charlie, I reckon. He says, talking of all this, what is your greatest football manager achievement? And do you think you would beat LVG at the game? I don't know about any more. That game's got heck of complicated. But my uh, my my greatest football manager achievement is winning the Champions League with Dagenham and Redbridge. That's That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a, it was a long time ago now. I had a lot more yeah, time I, then. You, you, you did similar, right? What was your, what was that team that you made the best um, team in the world? Began with a T, Italian team. Oh yeah, God, actually I can't remember. Some yeah, some tiny Italian team. This, this is you know, it was that long ago. My memory is going, but uh, yeah, you could do it then. Um, the last game of Football Manager I played a couple of years ago was extremely complex, and uh, I just couldn't find the time to to actually dedicate to it so i haven't really played it in a while um what with being a family man and all of that and having a busy job but yes uh, i reckon i could beat lvg at it but he would probably beat me at actually being a football manager how, how do you think he'd handle the press conference <laughs> he would just click storm out on everyone he just you can you can type in your own thing now like whatever you want so you just type you fat man and then just click storm out <laughs> um, right so southampton it's the grudge match. It's the it's the Algarve grudge match. Cumin against Van Gaal. 
big house against even bigger house. Yeah, and Southampton had a strange season, really. You know, sort of mid-table now. The weirdest. Yeah, started the campaign really badly and, and mixed results ever since, really. But uh, won 3-0 at the weekend. Very impressive, I thought, actually, in beating West Brom. Um, look like it's coming together and just signed a couple of strikers this week as well. So um, they're on the up. I think there's a bit of momentum with them. Clearly, they're not having the season that they had last season. But for uh, for a team that has lost a lot of players over the last two years, they're doing all right. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they beat Arsenal 4-0 on Boxing Day, it was kind of a weird game, that. But it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Did They, they beat us at Old Trafford last season, I'm pretty sure I remember that. Right, yeah. Um, but they've lost to Norwich and Palace recently, so you know it's as as, uh, as I said, mixed results. You know, inconsistent yeah, team for sure. I mean, this is the this is always the thing. But but there's there's inconsistent teams, and then there's losing to Norwich and beating Arsenal four nil. That's a particular a particularly intense type of uh, inconsistency. <laughs> inconsistency, yeah, that's the word. But yeah, they come in. They they come off the back of. Two good wins in a row, two 0 against Watford and three 0 against West Bromwich. Those are those are big, comf- comfortable victories at home. Um, they haven't won a game away from home. Sunderland on the seventh of uh, November, and we all know that Sunderland, like Aston Villa, does not count. No, that's right, and they've got three big games coming up. You know, United, Arsenal, and West Ham. So. Um, some toughies for them and and they'll want points out of some of this because otherwise you know there's a risk that they're dragged if not into the relegation zone then down the table I mean you know they've got enough points on Swansea, Sunderland and Villa I suppose but um, you know it could go the wrong way for them again inconsistency maybe Charlie Austin starts scoring goals and and they pick up some wins yeah hopefully not at Old Trafford that seems like a fantastic signing for them I mean Someone that scored a lot of goals in a really terrible team in the Premier League for not very much money at all. It's a very, it's a very low risk signing, isn't it? It is very low risk, and at four million QPR turned down an eleven million pound bid in the summer. They, uh, they could possibly be, you know, now, now take this with a pinch of salt. But maybe, maybe they're a worse run club when it comes to transfers than United. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, Van Gaal said after whatever game it was last weekend, um, that no action in the January transfer window, really, probably, unless something remarkable happens. What do you mean? Are we not signing Bale and Neymar and Ronaldo? Well, maybe not Ronaldo and Bale anymore, since uh, uh, FIFA handed down a uh, two-transfer window ban to Real Madrid. It doesn't come in in this winter, so it's the the summer and the next winter window that it covers. But uh, you'd expect Real Madrid, uh, pending appeals and all of that, to not be selling any top players anymore. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's super interesting, isn't it? Like, so Wenger said, well, they'll just appeal it and it'll they'll have at least, they'll have this summer almost certainly. And then maybe even if they lose their appeal, it'll be next winter transfer window and the summer transfer window after that. Um, it's obviously, if it is brought in from this summer coming, Bale and Ronaldo aside, that is great news for United, isn't it? Because it means De Gea's not going anywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. Uh, at least for another year. So, um, yeah, we, we hang on, in, on to him for another year. The, the press reports this week, just before the FIFA news came out, that, that Madrid were confident of getting him in the summer. Talk of talk of um, 
clauses and all that kind of stuff, which is would be very unusual in England, much more likely to be a gentleman's agreement or something like that. But um, right. we, we'll see. So Barcelona did the same thing. They delayed and delayed and delayed, went to the Court of Arbitration and Sport and, and still lost. So you'd expect Real Madrid's bluster at the moment. It's always bluster coming out of Real Madrid, uh, that they've done nothing wrong. They'll appeal it and they're very confident, etc. and so on. Um, would come, you know, turn out to be false, and and they will get this ban eventually. But if they can drag it out beyond the summer, they might have a very big summer by a lot of players and and try and wait it out for a year, and maybe get rid of one of their big players as well. Um, if they because they sometimes do have to sell to buy big, don't they? They're not super cash rich in the way that United are. Yeah, um, yeah, and we we uh, do ever so well with that that cash richness, don't we? <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, let's just buy bail take him off their hands, get rid of the problem. Uh, he's doing very well for Zinedine Zidane, isn't he? He is, yeah. Zidane in his first two games, uh, he's, he's a, a, you know, a freshman manager, scored 10 goals. Not not bad at all. I, 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 was, uh, I mean, Benitez, Benitez managed that in one game about six weeks well, ago. <laughs> shush, shush. Uh, <laughs> such a bizarre appointment that was, Benitez. You know, he's done some good things in his career, Rafael Benitez, but Benitez and Real Madrid just does not feel like a good marriage, does it? I mean, you know, if there's ever a club in which attacking football is demanded, it's Real Madrid. You know, there's there's things where you think, well, that's not going to work out, is it? But then you think, oh, well, see what happens. Then there's things where it's like you look at it going, is this some sort of elaborate tax fraud or something? <laughs> like, why? what possible rationale is there? Is that the only way they could uh, justify giving Zidane the job? Like, why not just give Zidane the job in the summer if that's what you were planning to do? Like, how, what... What possible course of action was there whereby Perez thought that Benitez would work out fine? Maybe he wanted to give him the whole season, but the players hated him so much he had to go early. I don't know. That's a a very strange club. Very, yeah. I I was asking a question earlier uh, in the day on Twitter about, you know, with with, uh, Zidane and Giggs in mind, you know, what first-time managers at elite clubs, you know, the, the biggest clubs, have ever actually been successful. So Guardiola is pretty much the only one, and he had a he was in charge of the B team. As you know, it's pretty much a junior role, of course. So very few, uh, I guess. Um, Ajax was Louis Van Gaal's first job. That's pretty successful. Would you call them an elite club? They were definitely on the precipice of falling into out of that category at that time, mid nineties. I think that was like the. Zenith, wasn't it? And uh, they slid down from there. So very few have been successful over the years, you know, because it's hard running a really top club. Yeah, Cruyff, maybe. The Ajax job in 1985. That was a pretty, they were a pretty big deal back then, weren't they? But yeah, it's uh, it, you're absolutely right. It's a huge rarity. I don't know. I, uh, Mourinho had a little job first, didn't he, before he took over at Porto? And they're obviously not an elite club. In that sense, you know. Well, he, he, yeah, he he had two jobs before he took over at Porto, right? Um, and go. and then uh, yeah, at Porto, and the Portuguese league is one in which there are only five teams that get average gates of more than six thousand. Yeah, of course. Sorry, I I was thinking out loud. Really, um, so Dalglish, um, uh, someone, a few people mentioned people like Capello and Ancelotti. Ancelotti had three jobs before he got his his first big one. Souness at Rangers was his first job. Would you call Rangers in the Scottish Liga an elite club? I mean, it's just, there are just so few examples. There are examples, but just not very many. And for Ryan Giggs, if he takes over at United in the summer, 
you know, it, there was you know, the word came out of his camp after after his last stint, four games, that he actually felt quite overwhelmed by it all. You know, is he prepared this time? Is the structure around him acceptable enough that it could support him? Because right now there is no director of football. There's not even an academy head and the the head of uh, youth player acquisition, Derek Langley, has just quit, retired amid sort of talk that he's frustrated with the club. That All the structures seem to have been hollowed out from the inside. And you're sticking a freshman manager in and hoping he's going to be successful. He's set up to fail if he does take over. And, you know, as brilliant as he might be and as much as he might have learned from Ferguson. Yeah, absolutely. And I should also just point out, I've just looked it up and Cruyff didn't win the, win, win the league with Ajax. So that's not that's not particularly good. Um, no, no, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But he so a couple the, of cups. Um, yeah. That whole thing is, I, I mean, I talked about this, I think it was last week, the, the the collapse of a totalitarian power structure and the failure to replace it with anything else. And when Moyes came in, for all Moyes' many, many, many faults, he was attempting to do something to the structure of the club. He was in it, it kind of trying to put himself in place as a manager and put a proper network in place for scouting and all that kind of stuff and do some work around the youth system. And I think that, that that's maybe some of the stuff he talked about when he said like he would have done things differently if he thought there was any chance he would have got sacked so soon because uh, he did have a kind of long-term plan. But then once uh, United pulled the ripcord on that appointment, if you're going to bring Van Gaal in for three years maximum, you have to address the structure of the club at that point, right? I mean, I suppose the one way they did it was by installing Giggs as assistant manager to take a, a three-year training programme with Van Gaal, essentially. But the rest of the stuff is falling apart in rubble, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this and, and wrote a piece on the, the Liverpoolization of United. And uh, there are so many parallels with what went wrong at Anfield. And look, of course... United's revenue of 500 million, approaching 500 million pounds a year, gives a kind of cushion to the club. But I also think it's leading to some complacency that somehow the club can just spend its way out of trouble. And we've seen enough clubs where that hasn't worked as well. You know, as strong as the relationship might be between spending and, and particularly wages and success, it's not a one to one relationship. R does not equal one here. And um, and especially the way that United have been spending the money, because you wouldn't say there have been too many successes uh, since Gill and Fergie and, went. And and correlation doesn't is a never a guarantee. Like Chelsea, I think overtook United recently as the the top uh, spenders on wages in the in the country. And look what's happening at Chelsea. You know that they're in complete freefall. Um, not unhilarious freefall. Talking of which, did you see the Duncan Castles tweet? <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of embarrassed for the guy, really. I mean, him and... Look, look, love is a beautiful thing. And, and him and Mourinho <laughs> have a beautiful thing going on. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it's kind of embarrassing. Look, I, I, talk to David De Gea. You know, when your partner starts going off on one on Twitter, you sometimes want to calm them down. So if I was Mourinho, I'd say, look, Dunk, Dunk. You know, just just calm it down because it's getting kind of embarrassing with the kind of conspiracy tweets going on. Yeah. So if you missed this, Duncan Castles uh, tweeted after John Terry's um, offside uh, after injury time equaliser. No Jose Mourinho Chelsea team ever got a seventh minute offside equaliser. Coincidence? Question mark. It's like, what? 
I don't even know if you would go as far as to call it a coincidence. It's just two things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, anyway, uh, it is strange, strange um, Jorge Mendes uh, mouthpiece behaviour. It's just so odd that he was basically went on to have a kind of discussion with Sid Lowe where he was sort of saying there was genuinely an FA conspiracy against Mourinho, which I, I find staggering that you would believe that. Yeah. Um, interesting piece by Danny Taylor in The Guardian about Mourinho saying that he's uh, he's got nowhere to turn. You know, this is the one where he, he said mm. that uh, they are suspicious at Old Trafford about Mourinho and it mean a uh, you know, huge about face for United to appoint him, you know, and, and it looks like Paris Saint-Germain... Um, the other obvious destination uh, are going to hand Laurent Blanc a new contract. They're like 50 points ahead of everyone else in, in France at the moment. Um, you'd expect them to to go through to the next round in the Champions League as well. So, you know, we've, we've got a decent Paris Saint-Germain side here. Real Madrid um, uh, may or may not have wanted him, but have just uh, appointed Zinedine Zidane. There are no other jobs in England, really. Um, he doesn't like Italy, so you know Mourinho's in a in a bit of a difficult position. Um, maybe he'll be England manager after Euro 2016. <laughs> maybe so, or Portugal manager, of course. Although he always said he wanted to do that at the end of his career, but he might not have too many options. You know, the way his career is going, it might well be coming up to the end of his career. So yeah, we'll see. Interesting times ahead. Could be uh, could be some interesting movements in the uh, the managerial transfer market in the summer. It's almost like it's not a good idea to set the building on fire every time you leave the building. That's it's almost like that's a life lesson that Mourinho should have learnt. He burnt all his bridges in Italy with the whole country. He burnt all his bridges at Madrid with the Casillas and Ramos thing. And he burnt all his bridges at Chelsea with whatever the last six months were. Um, not with the fans, obviously, but with the structure of the club and all the players. And he, he hardly, if he, if his, if this notion, which I'm not sure I've ever really believed that his secret desire is to one day experience the glory of Manchester United. Um, and he was trying to kind of improve his reputation. He's not done a particularly good job of that, has he? No, he hasn't. No. And um, interesting. So, uh, yeah, you know, Van Hal uh, loses the next game to Southampton five nil at home, uh, and the players uh, are clearly uh, not playing for the manager anymore. Uh, and there's some word on the street that they uh, they just don't want him in place anymore. And, and the Glazers call from Tampa, Ed, baby, Ed, this is Woodward, not not me. Is it is it gonna fire him? Would you have Jose? No, I don't know. Yeah, give me something to write about. <laughs> yeah that's true it would make for a lot of good copy yeah i don't know it's it's very hard to answer yes to that question isn't it because because of how not just the fact that it goes wrong but how quickly it goes wrong one season at chelsea one no two seasons i guess um but still it's just everything is worse after he leaves every time so that that is a big problem and even Van Gaal doesn't have that. You know, even Van Gaal's disasters, things tend to pick up in his wake. Um, but but Mourinho's disasters tend to, to have a long tail. Uh, so I think I think probably not. What about you? No, I don't want him anywhere near Old Trafford. <laughs> I think I've been <laughs> right, quite clear okay. on that one for quite some yeah. time. Uh, yeah, yeah okay, no, I great. think he would be an embarrassment. He, even if he's guaranteed uh, to bring trophies, um, you know, or he's at least used to be. Um, yeah, he would be an embarrassment to the club. But United's problem, basically, is is Van Hal has been a failure. 
uh, there are no other elite managers available anywhere in Europe. They're all tied up. You're assuming Guardiola to City is just a case Done. of dotting I's and crossing T's. That was the uh, that was the news this week coming out of uh, many reliable sources. You know, he's sent his love letter to Old Trafford and they rejected it. Um, Idiots. Yep. They, they want they want they all want sacking if they let that happen and and that really did happen. They all want sacking. Yeah, uh, and very specifically because. If they do get rid of uh, Van Hal uh, this summer or, you know, he's eased out to his holiday home in Portugal, they had a choice, uh, you know, appoint a freshman, never before driven the F1 car, learn a driver in Ryan Giggs or the world's preeminent manager who really wanted the job. So we believe. Interesting, that one. It's all over. It's all over. It's been great. It's been lovely. All the silverware was nice. All the glory, glory, Man United. All that stuff was gorgeous. But I think we're done for 20 years. Hey, even if we are done. Yeah. Even if we are done, yeah. we just won at Anfield. <laughs> yes! Get in! So well deserved. So Very richly good. deserved that victory. So, look, uh, coming to the end of the show, we need a prediction for United. We haven't really even previewed the Southampton game. Safe to say that uh, Southampton, I don't know which one will turn up. Uh, I definitely I definitely don't know which United will turn up, but I'm going to predict I'm going to predict a 1-0 win for United. Just like to say we never actually preview the games. <laughs> this is It's true because it's much more fun talking about the games just yeah, gone. Exactly. Um yeah, I am going to predict just like all the scenarios run through your head in that split second and it's like just absolutely anything could happen. I'm going to predict a 2-0 win to United because that sounds nice. Wow. I don't really think that's particularly likely, but I also don't think it's that unlikely. So Very good. Well, 2-0 um, to United. Good stuff. Hey, look, yeah. look, we've had some negativity in this podcast. Yeah. Um, it, it's inevitable, really, because the football is dire. Yeah. Uh, and the only difference from week to week is whether United take the one chance that they create <laughs> or not. Um, <laughs> it's a very sad state of affairs. Uh, but United won at Anfield and, yes. and Wayne Rooney is, you know, normally back. dreadful back. against Liverpool. And the big man is back, at least for now, yeah. you know, for the yeah. inevitable scoring burst that he has. But, uh, you know, it's great. Enjoy it. Enjoy it for a week. Um, in the meantime, uh, if you want to uh, send abuse our way, you can do so at UTD Rantcast on Twitter for Paul at United Rant for me. Uh, there's some stuff on the United Rant blog from me and mainly other people these days. I seem to have a group of writers who really like doing uh, my kind of long form, analytical, slightly negative analysis, you know, <laughs> or, or to quote someone on the, uh, the forum, analyzes the shit out of everything. <laughs> Very good. Yes, about about that. Uh, Paul is on New Maxi and uh, Bleacher Report, and he's doing his Paul's House thing on YouTube for you. Please watch that. Um, it, I think the last one was all right. I was quite happy with the last one. So yeah, it's almost as funny as Stephen Gerrard getting sent off. <laughs> all right, uh, we will be back same time next week. See you then, Ed. See you then.